take your Bibles this morning and I invite you not to turn to the book of Ephesians, but instead to turn to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. And today we want to take a little, uh, a little excursus, sort of uh, go in a different way this morning, because we want to look at the Lord's Supper and membership. Today is Lord's Supper uh, Sunday and we want to look at this subject, uh, a little bit of background on this. Uh, Marvin and myself and also Mike Thompson, we've been studying this subject for about eight months. There was a uh, pastoral um, question, a pastoral concern that came up uh, with a very, very dear uh, couple whom we love. And, uh, and so it, it spurred us into studying this and looking at this. And we saw where uh, our own practice in our church really was not according to scripture as it should be and so following that good old reformation slogan semper reformanda uh always wanting to be reforming according to the word of god uh we are endeavoring to do that and so what i want to do today is i just want us to look at this subject and really how even in our own church practice in redeeming grace how we just we just need to tighten up the bonds between baptism and membership in the Lord's Supper and how these things relate uh, to one another. Uh, that was one of the things that we noticed. And another thing that we also noticed is this, that this is a subject that's not taught on in Redeeming Grace near as much as it should be. And so uh, as, as a teaching pastor, that is laid at, at my feet. So this is something we need to be looking at uh, more regularly than we do. And so we want to endeavor to do that uh, from time to time just to refresh ourselves on just what it is when we come to the Lord's table, what it is to be a local church, uh, what baptism is. We, we want these things to be fresh in our minds as we engage as a body of believers here. So Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47, I just want to read this to sort of springboard our, our study here today. The title of the message is just simply The Lord's Supper and Membership. So Acts chapter 2, and reading beginning in verse 37. Now when they heard this, who is the they? It's everyone gathered on the day of Pentecost that, that were there. Uh, what is the this? It is Peter's sermon that he has just preached. So when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, or we could say because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Any and all whom the Lord will call off, Christian families, their children, strangers who are even outside of the church, outside of Christian family, whomever the Lord will call to himself, this gospel promise is for them. Verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of, of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together 
and had all things in common and they were and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to begin with somewhat of an illustration this morning as we begin looking at this about togetherness and what it means to be together and, and, and who, who we are as, as an identity. And sort of, we want to think about these things with, with maybe some other things that might help us. So when you think about your family, I mean, when, when you get together with your family, as many of you probably will, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. And so there probably will be gatherings where families will get together. And some of you will have much of your family here, many of your family, uh, extended relatives. And so you may have at your Thanksgiving meal uh, aunts and uncles getting together. You may have grandparents. You may have cousins. Uh, you may have even more than that. So, so what do you do with them? When you all get together as a family, what do you do? Well, you do family things. You do whatever your family does and some of us from the outside of your family we may look at what you do when your family gets gets together we may think well that's kind of a weird thing to do or or my family doesn't do that so so what are the things when you get together you know families have family traditions and usually you know when they do get together on an occasion like Thanksgiving they're they're doing those family tradition things they uh, they may sit around it may be all, all the time that when families get together they eventually talk about politics maybe they're uh, maybe they spill over and start arguing, you know, doing your family things. Maybe you know that, hey, when we get together as a family, there's always going to be good food involved. And so your family will come together at a, at a common table and they'll, they'll, they'll share together. So when you get to, together as a family, what type of stuff do you do? You do family stuff. And it looks a lot different than, than when you get together with your fellow work staff or your employer at work, right? I mean, when, when, when your boss calls a staff meeting, uh, what do you do? You do job stuff, right? You do uh, things that you do at work. You do work stuff. And so there's a particular thing you're going to do when you get together with your family. There's another thing you're going to do because you're an employer, an employee, when you get together with those at work. I think if I remember right, we had a, a group up here at church on uh, a couple of Saturdays ago who were quilting, okay? So what did that group do when they got together? Well, they did whatever quilting stuff is, you know, whatever that looks like. That's what they did. They got together. They got together for that express purpose. They were that, that group. And so the point is just simply this, that when different people get together, they usually have a reason for coming together. And then and what they usually do is the result of that. It's the result of, of, of who is coming together and why they're coming together. So, so families do family things. Companies do company things. Yesterday was filled with college football. Football teams get together and guess what they do? They do football stuff, you know, together. And so they, they do those things. Sporting teams get together. They do sporting stuff. So now when we get together, when the family of God comes together, what does it do? 
Well, when the family of God comes together, we do family of God stuff, right? Uh, we, we, we do Christian things. We do, we do things that represent our identity. We do things that say, this is who we are, and this is what we do. And that's what happens. So, so groups act in those ways. Groups act in ways that identify their identity. Uh, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who gather together as believers in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the children of God. And so as we gather together that way, we do things that reflect that identity, who we are. And, and it shows. And, and, and the world can see this very plainly. The world can see who we are and what we are. And there's probably within the church no better way to visibly show who we are and what we are than by coming together to take the Lord's Supper. Coming together to partake of this ordinance that was given to the church because when we partake of this supper, there is a display, there is a visible showing that there is a unity in this congregation. There is a visible showing that, that, that we are one and that is indeed what it is. This is who we are, this is what we do. This right here, what we're going to do at the end of our worship service, this really is the supreme picture of our unity and identity. There's so many different ways where we can show that. and so many different ways, especially by way of service, that we can show that. But this is the display that God has given us. Communion with our Lord, first of all. Communion with one another also, based upon our Lord. And so while preaching the Word holds a... Um, a particular place of primacy. We even have this sort of in what you see right here. You know, the supper is under the Word. And so it's the Word that has uh, the, the place of, of primacy. Even though that is the case, we see that the supper shows our communion. The supper shows the local church coming together and gathering together to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So think about it. Think about that again. Think about preaching. Preaching in many ways controls what we do. We declare God's word. And as we declare God's word, this is what we are to believe. This is what we are to do. That is what goes out as we preach, as we declare the word of God. And then we carry those things out. And one of those things that we carry out is the Lord's Supper, where we come together and we say as a church, we are going to respond to the word of God. We are going to do as He has commanded. And what He has commanded is that as we come to this table, this body comes to this table, this body collectively proclaims the Lord's death until He comes. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread, who is the you? Is it anybody? Is it anybody in the world? Is it any unbeliever? We know it's not any unbeliever. But specifically as Paul writes this, who is he directing it to? We have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the book. At the beginning of the book, he gives the recipients to whom he is talking. It says there, I believe it is in verse 2, it says to the church of God, which is at Corinth. When Paul says you, plural, he has a particular church in mind. Now, yes, it, it comes to us. 
but directly it was going to the Corinthian church. We're so quick to identify the Corinthian church in other ways. Look at this church. Look at how they were sinning. Look at how they had this wrong, that wrong. And we understand this was a local church. And as some would say, you know, this was a church that was really messed up. You know, so we talk about it that way. But we need to be consistent. And so when we get to verses like 1 Corinthians 11:26, for as often as you, you, Corinthian church, you, the local church, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are all in the local church doing this. We are all proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is so important, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is so important. So what we're going to do is we're taking time out to talk about this. This is not going to be per se an expository sermon. This is more of a doctrinal sermon. This is more of a a, a, a topical sermon, but we're going to talk about the connection between the Lord's Supper and membership in a local church. The connection between the Lord's Supper and membership in a local church. And this is really an important topic for several reasons. It's important not only because the Lord's Supper is a central and very important part in the life of the church, but also because here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, there are some who are not part of the church membership who partake of the Lord's table. And there may be some who have not partaken of it in a long time. I mean, who have not been members who have partaken of the Lord's table in a long time. And so that is one of the things that pastorally we want to do. We feel that there needs to be biblically this connection here. So we need to think about that question. We need to think about what is it where you have someone who's not connected to a local church where in scripture there's a ordinance given to a local church and yet one partakes of that local church ordinance without actually being a part of a local church that's something we need to think about that's something we need to pause and, and to look at and think biblically about that and to think you know how are these things scripturally related here now, let me ask this question. Are believers invited to come to the Lord's table here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church who are not members of Redeeming Grace? Absolutely, sure. They're absolutely invited because the Lord's table is a symbol of union and communion with all other believers. But here is the thing we need to remember. It is for local church believers. It is an ordinance that's given to a local church. So when we have those who come into Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, and they're Christians, but they're not part of our membership, but they're actually a part of a local church, are they invited to partake of the Lord's table? Absolutely, they are invited to come and be a part of the Lord's table. And for those who may be attending here, and, and, and maybe they're newcomers, maybe they're looking for another church, and they're taking that time, and they profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we want to invite them as well to the Lord's table because we want them to have a, an open way to the Lord's table, understanding that they are on their way to membership. Uh, they are a member of a local church. They're on their way to membership in a new church. They're looking. It just takes time. It takes time to see where God would have them land in a particular church. So, again, that is uh, intended to be an encouragement and a source of help for those who are moving towards church membership and who are moving towards being an official part of a local church. But here's the question, and this has been a historical question in many churches. 
But here's the question. I'm going to read it straight out of my notes because I want to get this question right because it's very important. And here it is. What happens when someone starts to partake of all the benefits of the church without ever making an, 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 an officially recognized commitment to the church? That's an important question. Again, let me repeat that. What happens when someone starts to partake of all the benefits of the church without ever making an officially recognized commitment to the church? There, there's a disconnect there. Uh, something, something is not adding up there that, that ought to be adding up. And so again, that's what we want to look at closely. We want to look and see what does Scripture have to say uh, about this. And let me just say this before we start digging into this. As we look at this, we have to be very, very careful. Very careful. Because we need to understand the whole point of this is not to shame anyone. It's not in that sense to sort of out anyone, not in the least bit. The point is not to shame those who partake of the Lord's table who are not members. It's not intended to do that. No, the point of this, and I hope you'll understand the spirit of this. The whole point of it is just to, to gently and just to pastorally just, just sort of pull back the veil and pull back the layers and just, and just try to, as gently as we can, as pastorally as we can, yet being faithful to Scripture, to try to expose the issue. And just try to, to lovingly lay it out there. And you know what? It may be an issue for which there are some in this place who they don't even know it's an issue. Maybe this is the first time they're hearing about this, and they didn't even know that there was an issue here. So, so dear brother, dear sister, we, we're wanting to be very, very gentle in this very very patient with this very pastoral in this but yet we want to go to to the table because at the same time we want to make a very serious but a very loving exhortation to join us at the table but to join us at the table as the body of Christ as it is expressed in the local church to join us at the table that way, to join us in obedience to all of his commandments. So if we're serious about loving the Lord, if we're serious about loving Jesus, if we're serious about obeying all of his commandments, then, then my prayer for you this week has been that you would take this sermon in exactly the, that spirit. This is, this, is a, this is a pastoral, loving exhortation to you, an encouragement. And maybe take it as, as maybe maybe even new information to you. Maybe things you've not heard of before. And maybe for some you have heard of it before. And so what you need is to really, really look at these things. Really evaluate these things biblically. Because maybe, maybe there needs to be some correction that takes place in your life. We all want to be submissive to the Word of God in our lives. So... What are we going to do? Lord willing, we're going to cover three main points. And the first is going to be three general principles. And then second, we want to look at three specific applications. And then third, we want to look at three concluding observations. So three general principles, three specific applications, three concluding observations. So first of all, let's start off with the three general principles. The three general principles. Because we... Because we need to set the stage here. We need to approach this issue within a fitting context, within a fitting framework here. 
And to give us that framework, we're going to look at these three general principles. Uh, each one of them is simple, yet they're very important. They're, they're, they're very essential. And more and more, I know in my life, and I feel in the, in the life of the church, we need to always be coming back to the fundamentals, the very fundamentals of what we are called to believe. And so these things should not, these things really cannot be taken for granted in our day. So first general principle is this. Again, very simple, very basic, but we need to be reminded of these things. First general principle is this, that Jesus gave his church a pattern of doctrine and practice. Our Lord gave his church a pattern of doctrine and practice. Turn, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and, and these verses are very well known to us, but again, very important. Matthew 28, and I want us to look at verses 18 through 20. Now, just to sort of set this up, the context here is this. The Lord is preparing his disciples for his departure here. And as he seeks to prepare them for his going away, he, he does it really in a variety of ways here, most of which involve teaching them. He taught them. Uh, he taught them about the kingdom of God, the scriptures tell us. And when it was time for him to ascend to heaven, to ascend to the right hand of power on high, he left the disciples a very, very important commission. And we call it the what? The Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. And so that's what we're going to read, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And this shows us that Jesus gave his church a pattern of doctrine and practice. Doctrine and practice. In other words, he gives us what we're to believe and he gives to us what we're to do doctrine and practice okay so Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 notice and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo I'm with you always even to the end of the age so what did Jesus do? Well, what he's doing here is he, he's leaving his apostles in charge here. He says here, look at it. He says, all authority has been given to me. And now basically what he says, now what I'm doing is I am delegating to you a certain measure of authority here. And these are the things that you're to do with that certain measure of authority that I'm delegating to you. So how are they called to perform this work? So here's Jesus, and Jesus is, is the cornerstone. I mean, Jesus really is the foundation of the foundation, the apostles of the foundation, but Jesus is the foundation of the foundation. And, and so the apostles are to be building. They're the foundation, he's the cornerstone, and they're the ones who are starting out this building work that he has commissioned them to do. Now, how does Jesus tell them to do this? How does he command them to lay the foundation of the church? Well, look at what he says right here. He says, basically, if we could paraphrase it, he says this, disciple the nations, teach them the truth. This is what you're to do here. And then for those who respond, well, they are to be baptized. They are to be baptized. And those ones who respond and are baptized, what are they to do? Look at what it says. Teach them to observe or to keep 
all that I've commanded you. So what is this? This is basically a, a pattern of church planning and church life. This is what he gives to the church here. So again, look, look at this. Let, let's just track with this here. Here it is. All right. So the truth is proclaimed to the world. And then the truth is believed. And then the believer is baptized. And then the believer obeys Christ's commands with joy and gratitude. I want you to know that this pattern is the pattern of doctrine and practice that Jesus gives to his church, his Christ's command for his church. So that is the first general principle. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his church a pattern of doctrine and practice. Now, second general principle is this. The apostles put that pattern into practice. They put that pattern into practice. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. The apostles go and do it. The disciples go and do it. And so to look at that, turn back over to Acts chapter 2, the passage we read when we began. Acts chapter 2. And I want us to look specifically at just a few verses here. Verses 41 and 42. Because when Jesus commissions the apostles, and as I said before, he ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of glory, right hand of the Father on high, this means that Jesus' teaching, that that which he has taught concerning doctrine, that which he has taught concerning practice, it is going to now be funneled through the apostles. And if you want to know what Jesus says, if you want to know what Jesus commanded here, you're going to get it from the apostles. Okay? And they put into place what Jesus had given to them. So, Acts chapter 2, look at verses 41 and 42. Again, Peter's preaching the gospel in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost here. And what happens here? By the grace of God, by the saving grace of God, so many believe here. It's just amazing how many believe here. Now, we pick it up in verse 41. Notice. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, verse 42. They, who were the they? The, those are the ones who were added to the church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is an exact uh, instituting. This is an exact institution or putting into place of what Jesus had commanded to the church. Uh, the, think about it. Think about the Great Commission we just talked about. Think about what happens here, okay, with the apostles. So the truth is preached. The truth of the gospel is believed. The believers, the ones who believe that truth of the gospel, they're baptized. And then they get involved in the life of the church. They begin to obey the commandments the Lord Jesus Christ and what were his commands what were the things that he told them to do what were the things that they did look at what it says here they devoted themselves to the teaching that's the apostles doctrine the fellowship that's gathering together to the breaking of bread there's the Lord's Supper right there and to gather times of prayer and if you notice here Acts uses the language of the number many times number the number it's seen in verse 41 it, it, it is the actual number 3,000 souls but then it's also seen in the second half of verse 47 of Acts 2 and the Lord was adding to notice their number their number 
day by day those who are being saved. You see, there was a specific recognized community of believers. In other words, there was a church. There was a church. And we can say, okay, the Lord is adding to their number. That There's the there's the definable group. We know who's in that group. We know who's not in that group. And the Lord added 3,000 to that very definable group. The ones that we know of who were in. And now these 3,000 people, they were over here. Not in that group over there. But now this group, this 3,000 have now been added to that group. And now that group knows that this group is in their group. You follow that? <laughs> might be a little complicated right but they know they know okay we this was our group before but now this is our group after 3,000 are added they were added to this says their group their number there's a specific community of believers there's a church there and what were they doing they were believing the apostles doctrine they were obeying the commands which originally came from the Lord Jesus Christ so, number one, the Lord gave his church a pattern of doctrine and practice. And then number two, the apostles put this pattern into practice. And that brings us to the next general principle, the third general principle, and that is this. We must obey Christ and his apostles. We must obey Christ and his apostles. So Jesus puts a pattern into place. He gives it to the apostles to establish the apostles establish it and that that is authoritative for us so from Jesus through the apostles to the church and now the church must receive it and the church must obey it so we have to ask the question have we believed the truth concerning Jesus in other words that question just simply means have we believed the gospel if we believe the gospel are we believers are we truly Christians and if we have if the answer is yes well then following this what we see in Scripture the next question we have to ask is this have we been baptized have we been baptized and then the next question would be this this would be the next question in the sequence this is the next in the pattern that Jesus instituted if we have been baptized then here's the question have we been added to the number? What would that be? That would be church membership. In whatever form a local church brings people into its recognized membership, that would be church membership. That's knowing that you're in the number. That's you knowing I'm in the number, and that's the church knowing that you're in the number. Uh, there's no miscommunication here. Everyone knows who is in and everyone knows who is not in the number, the local church. But being brought into the number, being brought into the church, as we said at the very beginning, what do you do when you gather as the church, the local church? You do church things, right? And what are those church things that we see here? We see breaking bread, we see fellowship, we see praying with the brethren. So that's the next question, are we doing these things? And so you see, I would submit to you this, that, that we have no choice in the matter here. 
I would submit to you this, that when Christ says, everyone who loves me keeps my commandments, I would submit to you that this is the pattern that Christ has commanded for his church. And so therefore, all those who love the Lord will submit to this and they will keep his commandments and they'll do it out of loving obedience. They'll do it out of joyful obedience because they cannot claim to have Christ as Savior and not have Christ as Lord. If we're going to claim his crown of thorns for our lives, his atoning work, then we also have to claim his crown of glory and lordship for our lives. And we must submit to him as Lord of our lives. And so, Jesus is giving his church a wonderful pattern of doctrine and practice. And again, I would say to you, we have no choice but to obey this. And, and again, that, that should not bother us because we should be glad to obey what our Savior has commanded. We should be glad to believe what he has taught. And again, he taught this and the apostles faithfully put it into practice. They are building on the foundation. Their foundation is the cornerstone and that is Christ. And then they are laying a foundation for the church. Well, the second thing I want us to look at is this. Three specific applications three specific applications. We're going to take these three principles and apply them specifically. Three specific applications. And if those three general principles we just looked at are true, and, and, and I trust that we can see that from Scripture, that they are, that Jesus put into pattern uh, this, this doctrine and practice that the apostles implemented it, and we have to obey that. If all those things are true, and that is what we see in Scripture, well, how do we apply these things? First of all, and again, it's going to sound like what we just talked about, but we want to make specific applications now, okay? So first of all, believers must be baptized. Believers must be baptized. Now, I don't have time to, to, to do what some theologians would call a polemic uh, against infant baptism, an argument against infant baptism. We don't have time to engage in that today, but I simply want this just to be a positive statement that simply says if you're a believer, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I believe Scripture is very clear. You're to be baptized. You are to be baptized. Our Lord commanded the apostles to take the truth to the nations, to make them disciples, and when they respond in saving faith, thus making them the, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ here, they are to be baptized. They're to be baptized. So, if, uh, if apostolic doctrine comes to you and, uh, and, and you say, I believe that, I believe the gospel, I, I believe those things. And then the practice of the disciples, putting into that practice what the Lord has taught, which is baptism, baptism of disciples, go and make all disciples doing what? baptizing them in the, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you say, oh no, baptism, no, no, no I, I, I don't want to do that. Well, the question is, why not? Why wouldn't you want to do that? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you want to confess Him publicly and in the waters of baptism? You see, any other thing really just, just wouldn't make any sense. Baptism naturally flows from accepting the gospel and believing the gospel, believing the word. And in the testimony of Acts, we, we've seen this. Um, we've seen this very thing happening 
that those who received the word, those who trusted in the gospel, they're baptized. And then we see it happening over and over again to the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. This is what happens. And so baptism is that public profession of faith. God has given you a way to go public with what God has done in your life. And that way is baptism. It is baptism. It is a statement that God has caused you to be born again. Look at me. I'm, I'm being baptized. The baptism is, is communicating this message. I'm a new creature because of what God has done. And so that is what baptism does. Baptism, as one writer says, it, it, it marks you. I love that, that phrase. It marks you. It marks you out publicly as a Christian. It marks you out that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. That the baptism has, has put a mark on you. That's what baptism has done. And it is a mark that says, I am one who loves Jesus Christ. I am one who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this accomplish? Receiving the word and being baptized. Well, it means that this is what a church is made up of. A local church is made up of people who have publicly professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, a church isn't made up of, of, of sort of uh, people with secret certificates. We don't go off in a closed room and kind of do some type of initiation or something like that. We don't have anonymous individuals in the church. We don't have any of that. I heard an excellent lecture a couple of weeks ago about uh, cults. And, and that, that's actually in the very name of the cult. You think about the word cult or the word occult. And it means hidden. And they try to keep their things hidden. But we are the opposite of that. We, we are a church. And as a church, we confess the things that we believe. We hold them openly. We say, hey, listen, here's our confession of faith. Here's what we believe as a group, as a body that is covenanted together. And then you individually as a member say, yes, this is what I believe right here. So we're not a cult with, with secret members and secret doctrines and and secret teachings, no, 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 we're wide open with those, those things. We, we are the church, we are the assembly of the family of God, and we proclaim the truth. And baptism, baptism is the individual way in which we do that, which means that when a person is evangelized, and when a person comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and they are, by that, made a disciple, meaning they receive the word, well, then they are baptized. And in baptism, they are added to the number, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2. We don't see a disconnect there. There's not these people who are baptized, and they're not added to the number. No, all of those who are baptized are added to the number. All those who are saved, baptized, added to the number, participate in all the activities of the church. It goes all the way down. We don't lose a single one through the entire process. And so baptism is where confession is made. It must be made publicly in baptism. That is the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what follows this? And you can tell we're sort of building here, right? We're sort of progressing here, aren't we? Next specific application. The second specific application is this. 
believers must join a church. Believers must join a church. I want to read this to you just so you know and understand. This is not some far-flung, wild-eyed, way-off-from-left-field thing, okay? So what I want to do is I want to read to you from the statement of faith of the largest Protestant denomination in the entire world, the Southern Baptist Convention. And listen to what they say under their section entitled Baptism and the Lord's Supper. It says this, The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate His second coming. So right there in their statement, even they would say, we don't know anything of a disconnect here between people who are baptized and people who take the supper that they wouldn't be involved and, and have a commitment, a recognized commitment to the local church. Listen, I want to tell you this. Apart from one example in Scripture, which would be the Ethiopian eunuch, I want to tell you this. The New Testament knows nothing. There's nothing about a Christian brother or a Christian sister who, who are just out there on their own. That are not connected to a local church. And even with the Ethiopian eunuch, as he's heading home and he's converted on the way, there really is no church to become a part of where he's going. So there's got to be some organization. A church has to be constituted. A church has to be planted. And then of course the assumption is he became a recognized part of that church. So, so, so why do I say this? Why do I say believers must join a church? And where do we get the idea of having an official church membership from the Bible? I mean, many, many people have asked these questions all throughout uh, the history of the church. So what I want us to do is, is think about the framework that we have established here, that we have to obey all of Christ's commandments that he has mediated to us through the apostles. I mean, I, I think that's a given, right? I mean, we, we can all agree on that. Do, do we not have to obey Christ's commandments? We could all say amen to that, right? And if, and if you can't, we probably need to talk. But of course, Christ commands His people, we obey His commandments. And so then, if we can demonstrate from the Word of God that we have been commanded to join a local church, well, then really there's, there's not any debate, is there? So really, the question is this. Is there that type of command that we see in the Word of God? Do we see that come out of the pages of Scripture? So consider just a, a, a few things with me. First of all, I would submit to you this, that when we're talking about baptism, baptism presupposes joining a body. Baptism presupposes joining a, a community. So if all believers must be baptized, and if this, as I said before, if this marks us out as visible Christians, if, if baptism is, is me going public, and this marks me out publicly, so that now you know and everyone else knows that I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the thing that Christ has given me to show that and to display that. Well then, isn't that marking me out as being now a part of an official number of Jesus followers? An official number of, uh, of Christians, if we could say it that way. Again, we read over and over in Scripture, added to their number, added to the number, added to the number. And so when we say that, 
it presupposes that there's a visible number that is there in which they're getting added to a definable, visible community of people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So yes, that is the case there. So, so then I would ask you this question. Are you willing to visibly join that community through baptism? That really is the question. Are you, are you willing to join that numbered community, that identifiable community, that visible community? Are you willing to join that community by confessing Jesus publicly in baptism? Because believers must do that. It presupposes that there is this community of believers. It presupposes that we're joining this visibly defined body of believers. It marks us out, baptism, visibly speaking. So the first thing that shows us uh, this command of, 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 of baptism, joining a body, is, is we see it in baptism. It, baptism is actually marking us out to be a part of a body. And again, we see it demonstrated in Acts chapter 2 so, so clearly. It is crystal clear. And maybe, maybe the issue with some of us here today is that, is that in this sense, our baptism was not completed. Our baptism was not as it, as it were finished. As many have said through church history, they've said baptism is the door to the visible church. So maybe with some of us here today, maybe we've been baptized and, and, and baptism was actually kind of brought us up to that door. But you know what? We, we never followed through and we never actually went through the door so that there was an actual visible commitment of our lives to the church and the church to our lives. And we never had that. Yes, we were baptized, but we never had this regard of, of walking into the church as it were. So in that way, in that sense, our baptism was left lacking because it did not connect us in a covenantal way, in an official way, to a visible local church. Our baptism complained to, uh, proclaimed, not complained, proclaimed to the watching world that yes, we are now a part of the church, meaning we are now a part of the spiritual family of God, but yet that baptism never connected us to the visible family of God. Now second, another thing that we can see, not only does baptism show it, and I would say it's commanded through baptism because we're baptized unto or into a certain group of body believers. We are part of their number now because we've been baptized, but second, it comes to the issue of leadership. Second, God has placed leadership over a definable, visible community of believers. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. Hebrews chapter 13. And I want you to look at this. And, and, and my main point here is not to so much talk about submission to leadership, although that's biblical. We're going to read it here in just a second. But my main part is to talk about who is to be submitted to leadership. So Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is one instance of several passages in Scripture 
where Jesus has placed over that definable, visible community of believers, leadership. He has put leadership over this visible community. Jesus, he is the one who has given pastors. Jesus, he is the one who has given elders to the church to guide it and to lead it in its doctrine, to guide it and to lead it in its practice. And elders are to teach and to regulate really pure apostolic doctrine from the Word of God. And to the degree, to the degree that they do that right, to the degree that they exercise their leadership according to the word, to that degree, believers are called upon to submit to them and to obey them insofar as they act in accordance with the word of God. So then there's not only a defined number of disciples as visibly displayed through baptism, but there's also a set of leaders that are to govern a defined number of disciples. And that defined number of disciples is commanded in Scripture to obey their leaders and to submit according to the Word of God to them. So, let me ask you this question. What do you call a defined group of believers with biblical leadership, pastors and elders, who are shepherding their souls? When you come across something like that, what do you call that? You call it a church, right? I mean, that, that, that is a church right there. It's, it's a church with members and pastors. And we could also add deacons to this as well with other scripture passages. So you see, we are obligated both to be baptized and to be in submission to the faithful leadership of elders and pastors in the church as they are faithful to the word. We are to be submitted to their leadership. We could also look at passages where Paul commands Titus to appoint elders in every town. And there are geographically organized and structured congregations. And these congregations would look like what? They would look like members and pastors all together practicing and persevering in the doctrine and the practice that Jesus instituted as given through the apostles. And so think about these things. If you are a believer, Jesus has commanded you. And if Jesus has commanded you to be in submission to elders of, uh, of a church, of a local church, and if you will not do that, then what do we call that? I mean, we have no other choice than to call that for what it is. It is sin. What is the definition, uh, definition of sin? Sin is transgression to the law of God. Sin is lack of conformity to the law of God. And so what, what I'm trying to say is this, that there, there's more who need to join the church so that you can have leaders in your life, so that you can have pastors in your life, you can have elders in your life, and they know that they are responsible for your souls on the day they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. There has been that communication. We are willing to come under the, the formative and corrective discipline of the church as reflected in their leadership. And so the pastors know that, that that is their responsibility to the church members. The church members now know and expect that responsibility from the pastors to be carried out and it's not just a personal thing where pastors and prospective church members have huddled in the back and we've sort of made this sort of tacit agreement with one another no the entire church knows 
because it has come through the membership process. The entire church knows we expect our pastors and our elders to shepherd the souls of these people here. And we expect these people here to be under the formative and corrective discipline of our shepherds and pastors. And the whole church knows this and the whole church holds this to account. And so Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. When do leaders know they are your leaders? In what way is that communicated? In what way is that known? Not only to the leaders, but in what way is it known to the entire church body? That without a doubt, we know, we, we can give you the list of names. We know the ones to whom, let's just get right down to it. We know the ones to whom Marvin and Van are going to be accountable to Christ to on the day they stand before him. We know them. We can give every single one of those names because there's been a process into which that has been publicly recognized. And so the apostles taught the church to obey everything Christ commanded. And I just want to say this about membership. You know, a lot of times we, we often bring a lot of mental baggage to, to this question. Oftentimes there's just a lot of concerns about it. There's worries about, well, what if I join a church? What if I actually join a church? And there, there's so many, I mean, you can't be exhaustive. I mean, but, but what if this? What if that? What if this? And I just want to tell you, I just want to give you a word of encouragement. Really, that's not what it's about. That is not what it's about. That is not what determines whether you join a church or not, whether you have personal concerns within you. That is not the issue. The issue is this. Should you join a church or not? Here's the question. Has Christ commanded it? Has Christ commanded that believers are to be part of a local church body? And if so, the question is, well, what will you do? And sure, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of questions as far as looking for the church that God would have you be in. As far as committing it, there, there, there are a lot of questions there. And it should be done very carefully, that process. Carefully and prayerfully and investigatively knowing what the church believes. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying this. When it comes down to the fact of, should I be a church member? Well, the question is, Christ has commanded it. So don't put all the what ifs in front of, uh, of the question of, should I be a church member? Don't put all the concerns in front of that. The clear teaching of scripture I would submit to you is that the Lord Jesus Christ would have you to be a part, a visible part, of a visible community of believers. Now let me just give you one duty here before we go to the last point. Third specific application here. And this is the reason why membership is, is such a privilege and such a blessing. And it relates to what we're going to do today. Third, believers must partake of the Lord's Supper. Believers must partake of the Lord's Supper. I would just ask you this question. Do you want to join the church do you want to join the local church in proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes not to do it outside of the local church not to try to do it uh, alongside of the visible local church but to do it as one who is a recognized part of being in the local church 
Do you want to proclaim Christ's death until he comes with the gathered, confessing community of believers of God, being in the church, being part of the covenant family of God? Do you want to join the church, the covenant family of God, in coming together and saying, this is, this is Christ's body, which is broken for us here. This is his spilled blood, which is poured out for the remission and for the forgiveness of our sins. Do you, do you want to say that with the church? And being in the church. And my question would be this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could you not want to say that from the context of being inside the local church? Being committed to the local church. Remember from the very beginning, families get together to do family things. Football teams get together to do football things. Sports teams get together to do sports things. Companies get together to do company things the covenanted body of believers come together, the church family, to do church things. And that's exactly what I do, what we do. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We enjoy the Lord's Supper. We put the gospel before our eyes visibly and we partake of it. And by faith, by faith, we are fed spiritually and we are reassured of the promises of God through the physical means of grace that He has given us here to once again reaffirm that promise that yes we have eternal life yes our sins are covered under the blood of Christ yes these promises are just as real as this bread we're partaking of and as the fruit of the vine we're going to drink these promises are given to us and so you see we have to do all that Christ has commanded us to do so with that foundation work laid let's return to the issue that, that we're trying to fix. So who is welcome to the table? Well, it's Christ's people. Christ's people are welcome to the table. And who are Christ's people? They are those who have believed the gospel. They are those who have been baptized. They are those who continue in a life of obedience. And they are uh, persevering in His commandments. And they are doing it from the context of not being outside of the visible representation of the local church. No, they're doing it from being inside the local church. We are gathering together. We are having communion together. We are a local body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll finish with this. Three universal invitations. Three universal invitations. Number one, the most basic is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Christ. Everything begins here. Every last person in this place and beyond this place is a sinful creature, born in sin and having sin. And as you see, it's not all, it's, it's, it's that we are to throw ourselves in faith upon Jesus Christ. It is Christ who saves us. And so we have to believe upon Him. We have to be saved. We have to trust in Him so that when it comes that day that we stand before Him, in judgment that it is not us standing in our own merits and in our own goodness because there is no goodness right no we are standing in the goodness and the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ the Word of God says in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved so we are to be saved we're to believe in him number two we are to confess him in baptism confess him in baptism when we believe in Jesus Christ, He's not only our Savior, He is our Lord. 
He is our King. And so He has commanded us to confess Him in baptism. So if you've not been baptized and you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized. Go public with it. Use the thing that the Lord has given you to go public with, and it is baptism. I want to tell you, as one commentator wrote, he said this, quote, If you trust in Christ, you should be impatient for this opportunity. It is a wonderful means of grace for you and a testimony for the world. It's an encouragement to us. End quote. Confess Jesus Christ in baptism. And then the third thing that I would say to you is this. Join his church at the table. Join his church at the table. That if you believe in Jesus, if you've confessed him before God and man, do you not want to join the church? And when I say the church, I'm not talking about some uh, amorphous ubiquitous thing. We're not talking about the universal church of Christ. We're talking about an ordinance, the Lord's Supper, that Christ has given to local churches. So when I say join the church in coming to the supper, I'm asking join the local church in coming to the supper because it is the local church that is gathering together. It is the local church that is proclaiming his death until he comes. It is the local church who is receiving the, the sacraments, the ordinances, these tokens which God has given us. These means of grace that we have here that say my salvation is as real as these elements that are here, this bread and this fruit of the vine. So my question is this, do you not want to say that with the church? And I would submit to you that the only way the church can say that is through local churches gather together to partake of the church ordinance that has been given to local churches so the church begins with believing in christ it looks forward to the end to his return when the dead will be raised and until that time local churches gather together to proclaim the lord's death until he comes because you see the lord's supper it's for the people of God. It's for the people of Christ. And what we're saying when we say that is we're saying the Lord's Supper is for the visible church of Christ, the visible local church. How do we know who is in the visible local church? It is through church membership. It is through church membership. And so my exhortation to you, my encouragement to you would be to join His church. And having joined his church, join his church at the table. So we want to encourage you to do that. We want to, we want to exhort you to do that. Uh, maybe if we can push a little bit to even lovingly compel you to do this. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in all of his commandments. And to obey them with gratitude. And obey them with joy. And to believe in him. Confess him in baptism. Join the church. And as the church now come together to the Lord's table. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we give you thanks for the commands that he has given to us through the apostles, through the scriptures. And we ask that you would cause us to believe the truth concerning Jesus and to obey all of his commands with joy and gratitude. Father, work among us to cause us 
to be in conformity to the doctrine and the practice which you have given us in your word. We thank you for it. It is truly a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. We give you thanks and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's by grace through faith that ye are saved. A faith that's not your own. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, the gift of God to you.